I've labeled all of my books that I've read. Now we just need Roman to show up. Just kidding. Just uh, kidding. That's not what we're doing here, Django. Look at that glass of water. Look at that tall glass of water. This is uh, La Croix. Oh, nice. What flavor? Orange. They were running low at the grocery store. So I got I, some orange yeah, and I got some go hibiscus. To, did you go to Freddy's? Yeah, it's rabbit. They've been running low for days. I was there yeah. maybe two days ago. No, yesterday when I went through in the Shost Baron. Yeah. Baron. None of the good ones. It's uh, LaCroidage. Oh, I like it. <laughs> um, between this podcast and the next one, I'm going to microwave a pot pie and eat it. Oh, nice. Yeah. This thing makes a thick spit. Mm-hmm. Zero bar does. Imagine if you hadn't been dehydrating all day. Well, you'd yeah. be looking at a paste mouth. Be bad news. Bad news through and through. Um, yeah, you know, Django. I think I made the best eggs of my entire life today. Really? Yeah. What'd you do? Um, well, I just used like a nonstick pan at low heat to like fry two eggs. But okay. I really don't like when eggs get that like kind of film from cooking too much. Okay. I'm like, and I've always had a really hard time making sure that doesn't form on the eggs. And okay. I cooked up two eggs today perfectly, able to flip them. Uh, no burn on either egg on either side. Dang. Like, able to move them around, get them on toast. And the yolk was still quite runny, mm -hmm. um, which is not necessarily That's... my favorite but um mm, but i was able I, to handle it for sure i like me a runny oak okay yeah it's i know you don't yeah it was it was an impressive it was an impressive feat i was quite proud of myself um an egg is a is a simple cooking task but there's a lot of room for uh things to be less than optimal with it especially when you're as exacting about your eggs as a man like you i am yeah and i I can fuck around with if I'm the one making my egg, I can pretty much eat it anyway, but I will definitely yeah. like pull off that film if it's mm, I love that there. film. It's just it's like butter with a touch of egg. I don't like it because it's like thick and gets stuck in your teeth and it's hard to like break down or kind of tear apart. It's like, it's like cellophane. Chunky, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a thing I love, but you know, which is nice, which is nice. Oh, <clears throat> Are you ready to lead me in a conversation about a motion picture? Yeah, I was just trying to think of the the structure. Yeah. How spoilery we how spoilery we want to be. I'd say pretty comfortably spoilery, I would think. If, yeah, I, I think mean, we want to like, like give a warning for sure. For sure. And because this will go up like, you know, if it came out on Thursday, probably be four or five days after it came out. That's enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think. Yeah. Well, also if it goes up faster than we don't have to worry about like you don't have to listen to it yeah exactly for sure yeah um i just mean if it was going up on friday and it came out thursday i would be more inclined to yeah shelter the folks i mean i am dying to listen to the podcast i like talk about it yeah well you know like like uh weekly planet won't talk about it until sunday yeah nice i'm glad that you're so pumped about it i am here to support you Oh no! That sounds <laughs> I mean, like you. <laughs> I mean, I liked it, but I don't have a lot of like points I'm excited to bring up or anything. You know, I also need to watch it again before I would even have points, probably. Yeah. Well. Um. Cool. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly what the what the arrangement will be, but I it'll guess all come out in the wash. It always does. Talk about some Indiana Jones. Let's fucking do it. All right, everybody. Welcome into a comics place presents a perfectly hit acceptable mu movie review. Perfect. A perfectly acceptable comment on a movie that just came out. <laughs> I am Jeff, and I'm here with our 
you, you know, normal co-host Django, but what you maybe don't know um, immediately offhand, but you should if you've listened to this podcast with any regularity, Django's favorite film and franchise in the entire world, Indiana Jones. You're except not for wrong. the shadow. But yeah, I mean he's a man who that's his thing. Uh and there is a new Indiana Jones movie that just came out this week. Django, welcome in. Thanks, buddy. It's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny time. We uh what you and I went to see that, I think, at the first possible showing. Yeah. Along with my kids, Max and Eli and Erica, and we uh, we were we were in on the ground level of that. We movie. were. Um, I just I just looked it up. It's been 15 years, almost exactly, since Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. Holy cow! 15. And I went to that at midnight on opening night. I bet that you did. Uh, they've moved the midnight opening night to 3 p.m. the previous day. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the midnight release has really fallen apart. Yeah. Yeah, um, I guess we're going to spoil some things about this movie. So if you're going to spoil it, this movie, yeah, I think I'm really glad that I went in without knowing much about it. I'd seen two trailers, uh, but there are some pretty big plot points and appearances in there that I, I wasn't expecting and was very happy to be surprised by them. Yeah, so uh, this is obviously Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, Mads Mikkelsen was the big bad of this one. We had Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is a prominent character, and from, Antonio from Banderas. Yep, and I and I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. yeah. Oh um, yeah, Antonio. Yeah, that was a weird cameo. Yeah. Just like I mean, he was a, a relatively focal character rather than a cameo, but uh, just the progression of his career has gone in an interesting way. He's no longer the A-list Bill on a movie. No, and I think, uh, I mean, we could probably talk about X versus Sever for two and a half hours, but we're here to talk about Indiana Jones. Yes, yes, and don't <clears throat> pretend I've seen that movie. Um, Nobody all right, saw well, it. That's why Antonio Banderas doesn't have a career oh, anymore. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Jenga, what did you think of this flick? Dude, I thought it was made for me. Yeah? I thought it was like, it was everything I was hoping for in an Indiana Jones movie. Um, it... it had a bunch of negative reviews going in so i was pretty guarded about it and <laughs> after i after i got home after seeing it for the first time on opening night i uh i i felt like this huge sense of relief that i don't often feel and i think like the idea that they might make a bad indiana jones movie had been weighing on me way more than i realized for like a year and a half now like oh yeah. god yeah, is- like my back felt straighter. I just like <laughs> I felt light and and I was like, what's going on? Like, what's wrong with me? I was like, oh, it's because the indie movie stuck. It's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, OK, so in my experience, you've been a lot more open minded and positive about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull than I've heard many people be. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is this is my review. This is not everybody else's review. Yeah. But so where where does it relate to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for you? I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is at the bottom of the list uh-huh. of favorite Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, we're um, going to rank them all at the end of this, too. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. That one's my fifth favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this this is I, I really, really enjoyed the 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 whole thing about this. Um, I don't want to rank it yet if we're going to do them at the end. But yeah, we'll do it at the end. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler is it's hard. It's that you like this more than Crystal Skull. Absolutely. And when Absolutely. Crystal Skull came out, I haven't heard you say negative things about it, really. But do you think that the execution of that film is maybe why you would have the performance of this one weighing on you going into it? Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull gets a lot of flack from people, and I don't think any of them are wrong. Um, a lot of the stuff people complain about in it don't 
doesn't really bother me. But the the main thing for me is that Indy didn't solve a lot of his own. Uh, he didn't solve the puzzles to get them to places. He was mm-hmm. following somebody else and just kind of reading their diary and interpreting the puzzles that they'd already solved. And that was, I think when it came right down to it, that was my biggest problem with that movie. Plus Shia LaBeouf swinging with monkeys was pretty stupid, but I I, I just pretend that part didn't happen at all. So I've, so we get that you start with that kind of 20 minute flashback scene in the past, which was CGI Mm -hmm. de-aged Harrison Ford and Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. How'd you feel about young Indy in 2023? I thought it was great. I thought it Um, looked pretty good. It looked, yeah, I, there, there were a couple of shots. So when you and I went, we sat Real in close. front of the walkway, like p- pretty close to the movie. It was, yeah. it was giant and overwhelming. It I was went, a fun, that was a fun movie to do it. Cause I always think yeah. about what you say about sitting front in the front as being like when a director make dr- does it well, sitting in the front, your head kind of like looks left and right across the screen. But like, if they're filming it right, then kind of like it transitions to the next scene with where your eye is already looking right. and stuff, which is. Um, I thought this did a pretty good job of being an up close movie. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just getting better at being up close. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a a poorly made movie or a movie trailer or a Pepsi commercial. It's like torture sitting that close. And I always start second guessing it during the trailers. I'm like, oh, everybody I'm with is probably going to hate sitting this close. And then by the time the movie starts, you're like, oh, it's not so bad. Also, when you're going to see Indiana Jones with Django, you sit wherever <laughs> the fuck Django is going to be the most excited to be watching Indiana Jones because it's been 15 <clears throat> years. Yeah. Oh, and and so so the second time I saw it that night was with Ron. Yeah. And we sat higher up and the CG was a little wonkier with okay. a little more distance from the screen. Um, but just in general like you know, I'm I I'm I'm the kind of guy who likes a demo as much as the finished product sometimes. So if you can get your idea across and it's not egregious, I'm I'm fine with some CGI wonkiness. We certainly weren't in flash CGI wonkiness territory. No, no. I if if you weren't trying to pick it apart, I think it holds together pretty well. And I after the movie, Eli said uh, that he was super impressed with how they de-aged Harrison Ford's voice for that bit. I agree. That was a thing that I paid attention to because it did sound like a de-aged voice, but you mm-hmm. could still hear the kind of origin of older Harrison Ford in it. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it, it was a modified older Harrison Ford voice, which is a thing I wouldn't have thought about needing to do, which you obviously need to do, but right. it was interesting to uh, discern the difference between how young Indy and current Indy would talk. Yeah. And the, like in that, that whole scene is just so, exciting and every time you see young Harrison Ford and like they they nailed his kind of cocky expressions and mm-hmm. a lot of his smirks and stuff were just spot on in in that scene you know I know it's probably based on his real face but um he was he was pretty expressive as a young guy yeah and and he's not quite as much like that anymore um but just like the exaggerated smirks and stuff i thought they really did a good job with that so in terms of going into this movie i was pretty sure that phoebe waller bridge was his daughter going in okay and again spoilers throughout this whole movie but it's his goddaughter and i guess that makes more sense because the last one had his son and we didn't ever hear mary you know like yeah they they like mentioned in the trailers that she was his goddaughter but the, the trailers ended up being pretty misleading which i was thankful for me too yeah. Um, yeah, my fear was that they threw all the good stuff in the trailer, <clears throat> which happens pretty often these days. They threw a bunch of good 
setups into the trailer and then we didn't get the payoff until we saw the actual movie right um like when sala later on shouts give him hell indiana jones and then like in the movie in the trailer that's it but in the movie indy almost gets hit by a car at the airport right away and i thought like you know as, as a guy who watched that trailer seven thousand times the day it came out i was like okay good there's more to each one of these beats than what we're getting yeah um <clears throat> i yeah. So interesting from your statement about the fourth one, because for like the first half of this movie, I was feeling like Indiana Jones's detective solving was kind of second fiddle to his goddaughter's kind of Mm -hmm. detective solving. You've seen it twice now. Am I just kind of misremembering that or not remembering as many times as he? Because like I was sort of feeling like and I made sense to me at the time because like he is older you know right. like he is kind of back seat he doesn't you know like that's a way of showing his age a little bit um but it didn't feel to me like it was exactly like the focus of him being the huge problem solver do, do you what did you think about that well i think that for the first half of the movie she has already done the legwork i guess and so like she's is. catching him up with everything and he's he's sort of catching up to her and then when they finally team up, he takes the lead on solving a lot of the things. Yeah, it felt like in the um, second half, for sure, he was doing more of it. Yeah, and I, I I like that a lot more than the way they did it in The Crystal Skull, which was just like basically Indy following Oxley's lead right up to the end. He solves like one puzzle in the whole thing, and it's mm-hmm. it's because he knows a language that nobody else knows, you know? <clears throat> so um, but the, the Nazis, they killed so many Nazis in that first scene. They did. And and just like, man, the 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 way that that action worked in that opening scene set in like 1939 or whatever, um, it just I love a train problem because you have to figure out how to get people to cross each other. Like the bad guys have to be running one way and the good guy has to be running the other way. And somehow on a train that's seven feet wide, they have to miss each other. Right. And the way that they solved that problem over and over was great. The way that the the Nazis are chasing Indy and he locks them out so they he can't that they can't get through the door and be on the train. And so they start going along the sides of the train is like echoes of Raiders of the Lost Ark in the truck chase. Um and the way that that them catching up to him gets solved is is awesome because it's just like this chaotic gun that's misfiring and shooting them all off the edge of the train. Um just so many nice little nods to the other movies without being a total ripoff or uh, like like true Easter eggs rather than just straight up fan service. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like they were just kind of homaging the original films, which I think is an yeah. easy spot to fall into when you're, you know, making an additional film 15 years after. Right. I wonder how long between Last Crusade. Do you remember what year Last Crusade came out? No, I don't. I'll find that while remember. we're talking. Um, um, what did you think of Phoebe Waller Bridge's character? I thought she was good. And, I thought she was like her name. Um, Helena. Okay. And Indy called her Wombat. Yeah. From when she was a little kid. Um, I thought she was pretty good. I think that she felt like younger Indiana Jones, like from the Temple of Doom into the Raiders era, where she's after the fortune and glory. Um, you know, she owes gambling debts and that's why she gets wrapped up in this adventure to begin with. She's kind of all, she's in it for her, but she's also got kind of her own short round. I got to clarify something. Yep. You just said kind of like young indie Temple of Doom era going into Raiders of the Last Ark. So for everyone listening, I have not seen Temple of Doom. Almost at this point, um, 
because of it's so unbelievable that I haven't seen Temple of Doom. <laughs> Does Temple of Doom take place before Raiders? Yeah, Temple of Doom is is a couple of years oh, before Raiders. Wow. And Indy is focused on fortune and glory. Okay. In that, like that's that's his motivation, huh. uh, and and part of his character arc is to get to a point where that's not his sole focus by the end of that movie. I want that to have a theatrical re-release so I can see it in the theater. That would be awesome. I would watch that in the theater. Last Crusade, nineteen eighty nine. So nineteen years oh, that's from right. three Same to four. Batman. And then 15 years from four to five. So two movies made in almost 30 years. Yeah. That's, that's awesome with this franchise, uh, the legs it has. Well, and it was directed by James Mangold. And this is like, maybe they could do a sixth one and I probably wouldn't complain, but they, they have made it pretty clear that this is probably the last Indiana Jones movie. Uh, and this is the second James Mangold last movie, right? He did Logan. Um, and then next he's doing the dope ass Bob Dylan feature, a complete unknown starring Timothy Chalamet as a young Bob Dylan going electric. Whoa. That's what they're filming in August. That sounds awesome. And Bob Dylan has been doing all of the scripting with him, like reads of the script and like going over the script. Really? Yeah. That's got to be just a a chaotic nightmare. to Yeah, because you're like, you you said this happened yesterday, and now you're (laughs) saying this didn't happen. Um, I'm I'm writing a script with a liar. (laughs) I really liked Helena's character by the end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably not surprising to you in your understanding of me that I like, for the first half of it, I was like, could you be less of a butthead? Like, could you be less of a dick? Like, this, this Harrison Ford, it's your godfather. Like, you seem pissed at him, but like, you're... Like, let's all be nice. We can be friends. Right. I don't like, like, I don't know. I, I was sort of like, you could, I, there's a more positive way to do all of this, Helena. Well, she was just using him, right? Yeah, and I guess that's <clears> what <throat> I, I don't like that, you know? Not not that it's a criticism of the film at all, because like her no, character is full circle on everything, but. That, that's a good character, right? Like if yeah. you didn't like her because she was written to not be liked, then that's a success. Yeah. And I'm glad that she had the character arc that she did, because by the end, she's like, you know, she. I don't think she was a thief with a heart of gold in the beginning. I think she no. learned how to be cool from Indy, which so did I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he mastered that at a very young age, and and the writing a success. Um, and then not only that, her portrayal. Because while at the one hand you're like, come on, lady, her performance was fantastic because you like her the whole time. Yeah, because even like, when she's Phoebe, kind of a shithead. Yeah, because Phoebe Waller-Bridge is so charming, and I yeah. had never noticed the mole on her head, and now I'm in love with it. Oh yeah, yeah, she's That's she awesome. she did a. Uh, they barely revealed that in Fleabag. Yeah, yeah, um, which is was interesting. Uh, yeah, I thought that she was really cool, and you know, like later on when they're talking about how she connected with this kid teddy who is kind of the short round of the movie uh, but not like in a ripping off short round way like this this kid is it's it's a different kind of character but his origin with helena is pretty similar like she caught him picking her pocket and they just ended up being buddies and that's kind of when you start realizing that she's not just an incorrigible butthead she's you know she's got somebody in her life that she looks out for yeah sort of um the the after the flashback, we we end up with Indy in uh, what was it 1964? Is that right? I would believe the... that. I love that the first scene is so early, and those movies take place in a distinct time period. That like even jumping forward in in time a bunch in it, we're still in the 60s. Yeah, I, yeah. I love I love that, <laughs> and then also just to be in a time period where Nazis are villains. 
like there's no better villain than the Nazis. No. And it just feels good to watch a movie where we're killing Nazis because they're the, the worst guys. Like, awesome. Yeah. And, and like, that's, that's one of the brilliant things about the Indiana Jones movies is that they, they can just mow through all these human beings and, and it's okay. Yeah. Cause they're like actually actively evil characters. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like misinformed or, or, or different you know, opinions. It's like, yeah, Oh yeah. You're like murdering millions, millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, and and the the kind of the Mads Mikkelsen character and his like they they have a scene where he's talking to a, a black room service guy and he's he's being like it's not subtly racist but he's not just shouting at him and calling him names or anything he's just getting his digs in and yeah. and I thought that was a really interesting thing because we don't see that kind of uh, racism in the other movies. Right. Like in Raiders, they're uncomfortable doing a Jewish ritual with the Ark. But, you know, it's it's I don't know. It was it was just a, a different way of of handling the the bad guy. And I think uh, it was very good because Mads Mikkelsen is great at playing villains. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also like Mads Mikkelsen, you know, right. so his portrayal was great. And he kind of is, you know, like time has passed since he was a Nazi. So, you know, he's a Nazi in hiding kind yeah. of uh they needed those ways to portray how despicable he was and right. how once a nazi always a nazi kind of right yeah yeah keep him keep him evil yeah um the so you know there's there's all kinds of action that happens there and, and a cia agent or three or four get involved in the storyline i thought she was awesome um her name is Seanette Renee Wilson, the the black woman with the huge afro. Oh, she um, was awesome. She was awesome. Yeah. And I would have liked to see her live longer. Yeah. In that movie. Like I I in there there's a couple things in here. Like Indy gets kind of framed for the murder of some colleagues. And we I don't think we ever explicitly see him get cleared, but I think that like in my mind, she clears him before she gets shot. You know, like she calls the CIA and it's like, hey, this guy's cool. Yeah. And like <clears throat> the fact that she was running around with those Nazis, like becomes quickly apparent that they're Nazis, I felt like. So like it seems yeah. like the CIA would write off that shit, you know, yeah. like, oh, wow, they they got one by us. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. The 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 action in Tangiers when they're on the Tuk Tuks and just like jumping from Tuk Tuk to Tuk Tuk and jump into cars and you know like Indy kind of bragging that he's got uh he knows the town really well and then finding like you're like oh yeah whatever there's no way and then all of a sudden he finds what he was looking for he's like oh the car's right down there like Mm. Indy knows his way around Tangiers at 60 miles an hour in a tuk-tuk which is pretty rad yeah if we had been (laughs) sitting directly next to each other uh I was not able to not think about Bob Dylan's uh song oh yeah um about when she goes to Tangier. Um, One of my favorite songs. I'm blanking on the name. So to that scene particularly, also people know this about me. I'm in the vast minority, but I don't love like big action sequences that much. Mm -hmm. And I think on the lower end of those are chase sequences for me. And that's maybe something where sitting up close is actually the one detriment for me because like Mm -hmm. it's a lot of like looking around and kind of eyes getting tired. But for a movie that by all accounts is a big summer blockbuster, um, I thought that that was the only scene 
that kind of dragged for me personally. Like, yeah, I needed to pee in the movie. And after that sequence, I was like, okay, there's going to be more of these type sequences. The next time one of these happens, I'm going to like get out to the bathroom <laughs> and come back. So that way nothing like too big will happen. And I waited a long time for yeah. one of those scenes. And finally I decayed because one just didn't come. And I just ran to the bathroom and got back. So that to me is a pretty impressive job. Like I love, you know, the Fast and the Furious in, mm-hmm. you know, all of those movies. But there are several sequences in all of those movies that might put me to sleep. And yeah. this movie really didn't have one of those except for that scene. And it wasn't even that long. No, but it was it was like a four-way chase. Yeah. And there's no efficient way to show a four-way chase. Because yeah. like everybody has to catch up to everybody at some point, And they yeah. all have to fight each other. Like it's it just it bloats and bloats and bloats. And I get um, that a lot of people love those scenes. But for me, it's always yeah. like, all right, this is like the filling of an Oreo. And I just need to get to the other scene because mostly it's <laughs> it's just a knot that you tied and then get to the other end of a thing, yeah. um, you know. And yeah, and, I and could so that's see why that. I don't particularly care for them. But um, again, this had much fewer of them than I expected. And I think for a big summer blockbuster, that's that's a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, and we get kind of like in that scene, we get a lot of good sort of character development for Teddy who is the the kid with Helena and who tags along for the rest of the movie. Like mm-hmm. he, we get to see what, what kind of kid he is. Um, gosh. And then I don't even remember what the next major scene is, but like they're, they're chasing this. Jenga, we haven't talked about what they're chasing, which is a dial of destiny, a dial of destiny that uh, I can't even pronounce it. I was, that bothered me because I could never figure out exactly what the word was. It was like the Atikatoshka or something like, yeah, something, something that was hard to read in the subtitles, hard to hear with your ears. Yeah. And the people who are naturally speaking the language of it did it really fluently. And then when people are speaking it in English, it was pronounced slightly differently. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. I actually kind of like the word. I also loved that on Tuesday I was talking about with somebody, um, Roman, actually the Lance of Longinus. Um, oh, yeah, has a prominent role in Neon Genesis Evangelion was one of my favorite anime. And we were talking about it on Tuesday and on Thursday, it was in a movie. And yeah. I was like, that's one of my favorite fictional, historical, important items. The, um, the spear that that pierced Jesus's side, right? Yeah, when he was on the cross. On yeah. the cross, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but but yeah, this Dial of Destiny, I loved. So I I mean, that's one of the amazing things that Indiana Jones movies to me, outside of the fact that like they're clearly ripping off National Treasure. Um, <laughs> with this whole franchise of films sure um but uh i love mystical important powerful artifacts from the past being used in modern day yeah. or like quote unquote modern day for this like I, that's just a a thing that i love you know the brilliance of ancient wisdom mm-hmm. being discovered and that's a thing that's prominent it seems like in all indiana jones movie as i say seem seems like because i haven't seen temple of doom um but i love this one particularly because it's you know archimedes dial who is this incredible mathematician philosopher strategist um from what like 280 bc is that what it was uh yeah something like that something like that um and and the idea that you know this thing has the ability to detect fissures in time and space to possibly create time travel like just as a mathematician those ideas are so cool yeah. Not that I'm a mathematician, but uh, from the perspective of mathematicians doing that. So I really liked the premise of this thing that they were looking for the entire time. And, and then kind of the the promise of what it could be. And 
I, in general, don't necessarily love movies where it feels like you're kind of just going from one place. We got to go this thing, so go here. We got to get this thing, so go right. here. But this movie didn't seem to do that to me. No, or, but like, like it, it was definitely does, but it yeah. doesn't feel like it. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was certainly globe trotting and all in service of finding this MacGuffin and then that MacGuffin and then this MacGuffin. Um, but yeah, it didn't it didn't feel like one of those, you know, sometimes it feels like uh, episodes of um, Sons of Anarchy where they're like, we need $10,000. How are we going to get it? And they find it and then the episode's over. And then the next episode, they're like, we need $9,000. How are we going to get that? And they have to come up with another scam. I've uh, never seen in that show. It, it, Here it's good, great in but it, by the third season, it just kind of turns into like heist of the week or murder yeah. of the week or whatever. And and this this never really feels like that. Um, I like that, uh, you know, by the time you get to the point where you're finding all of the parts that they have to assemble to use this artifact, um, you're 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 like you feel really bad for Indy because of the place that he is in his life. Yeah. And like from the opening scene in the modern, the quote unquote modern day in the sixties, he's like, he's old. Marion has petitioned him for divorce. We hear hints about uh, Mutt having died. He's retiring as a professor. He's not going on adventures anymore. Even like when he leaves for his adventure, he doesn't bring his hat and his whip and his gun. Sala went to his house and grabbed his bag and brought it and gave it to him on the way to the airport. Like Indy wasn't going to have an adventure. He was going to find Helena and yeah. get his thing back. It was Dr. Jones leaving and Indiana Jones is who arrived. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, you know, on, on the boat, on Antonio Banderas's boat before we get to see Indy have to f fight eels instead of snakes this time, mm -hmm. which was pretty fun. That was um, cute. He, uh, he just talks about like real frankly about how he misses Mutt and he's, if he could go back in time, he would tell Mutt not to go to war to enlist, yeah. and, and how that, tore him apart and tore him and Marion apart. And, you know, like he's, he's lost his Indiana Jones zest because Mutt was trying to impress him is, is how he feels about it or trying to piss him off. Um, and, and so like when you get to the point where they're getting the thing that is allegedly going to bring them back in time, you're like, man, what are the repercussions of Indy undoing some of the weird shit that led to Mutt leaving, you know? Um, that was, that was, that was, uh, that was kind of heavy. It was, it was super heavy. Um, it was sad. Like the first half of the movie is sad in the state of his life. Like you're saying where Indy's at, you don't want to see your childhood champion drinking himself in the early morning shirtless in a hot room, being annoyed by his neighbors. Like that's, you know, or yeah. just like the passive way with which he was teaching, you know, right. Uh, it was, it was this, yeah, they did a really good job of adding gravity to that character, which is so cool you know, to see in four and five, because one through three, he is such a Titan, you know, right. like, uh, right. You would, you would, you would want that stuff to be able to see your characters grow. Um, I there also, was... yeah, yeah, please. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, <clears throat> I love time travel stories. I've talked mm -hmm. about that a lot. We talked about it last week on the podcast because time before time is a great comic. Great comic. Um, <laughs> and, but one of the things I love about time travels when they discuss the repercussions, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that every story kind of handles it differently. You know, like yeah. the back to the future world is a very certain way of doing a time travel story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're needing to worry about the repercussions of your time travel. Is it a story where you're kind of cyclically changing things in the past and it's therefore changing who you are in your reality, or are you changing an alternate timeline that leaves your timeline fixed, but you fix this other timeline. There's all these different ways to right. do it, which, um, I guess I'm using as a segue into being able to talk about some spoilers later on in this movie, but I do want to make sure what you were going to say is said. Oh no, let's, let's keep going. I, so Mads Mikkelsen's character, uh, Voller, his whole goal is he, and, and, and the, like the conversation he had with the, um, room service guy, he tells him that the U S didn't win the war. Hitler lost the war. I love So that he's line. like Hitler messed up. Like if it wasn't for Hitler, we would have won, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing and and kind of shows the ego of the guy who's gonna out ego the biggest egotist of yeah. World War II. Right? I can be like, I could be a better Hitler. You know, yeah. like that that is how you add gravity to a villain. Yeah. And so like his goal in finding this device is to go back in time to nineteen thirty-six and take Hitler out and take his place. Um, which I think is just an amazing motivation for a bad guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, in order to do that, he's got to get all these pieces and he's, he's got the henchman, like, like the big, tall, beefy guy. Uh, okay. And the way that they got rid of the henchman was the big beefy one was fucking awesome. That was amazing. So, so like the, not to sidetrack us from, from where we're headed right, right. back to where we're headed, but the, the, so in every indie movie, he fights a big, big, big dude. Mm-hmm. And it's been the same big dude in the first four movies. The same His actor? name was Yeah, this Pat Roach. Whoa. He plays the big German mechanic who gets in the airplane, chopped to bits airport, by, the, yeah. by the helicopter or by the airplane. He also plays uh, one of the guys who gets killed in Marion's bar in the beginning of that. Like he kicks in the door and picks up Indy and like slams up against the wall and then uh, Tot says, shoot them both. Mm-hmm. Like the guy who's on top of Indy, just about to finish him, is is the same actor. He plays a uh, big dude in in the uh, a thuggy guard in Temple of Doom. Like he's he's in all those movies, uh-huh. and then in he died a couple of years ago. So in this one, the big hulking bad guy is Oliver Richter's, and I don't think he hits Indy once. Like Indy tries to hit him a couple times in the beginning, and the guy tries to hit Indy, and Indy ducks. But like this dude, he's probably like seven and a half feet tall. He's got the littlest head and the biggest shoulders. (laughs) And he like, he could probably flick Indiana Jones and, and break seven bones in his 80 year old body. Right. Yeah. And he keeps at one point on the boat, like Indy gets up and the guy comes at him, like he's going to hit him, but he just like grabs his shoulders and pushes him slowly down into his seat. And it's like, so menacing and then he gets <laughs> he gets taken out by a little kid who's smart and can pick locks on handcuffs when he's underwater like yeah that was awesome he just handcuffs him to a grate underneath water and he drowns so the gruesome death but, gruesome but not death. a viscerally gruesome death no but it is a gruesome death and it's also the only way that you could have really had outside of a airplane help you know blade chopping him up our cast was not a super physically menacing or intimidating (laughs) cast so uh, they did a good job of uh dispelling him yeah yeah i thought i thought that was pretty fun the so as we approach the end of the movie they've got 
Uh, Indy's been shot for the 10th time we learned in this movie. <laughs> uh, and he's on a big old, uh, it's like a B 52 bomber airplane with, with basically like the millennium Falcon, uh, world war two, the, the millennium Falcon gunnery area yeah. there. Um, so Indy's on there with the Nazis and Helena and Teddy, Teddy, like when we first meet him, he's learning how to fly an airplane from a drunk pilot in the, in the brothel that he works at just like using napkins and stuff to, to learn how it works. Um, so he steals a plane and Helena like goes and grabs, uh, grabs a motorcycle and chases down the big airplane that Indy's on. And that was a thrilling scene. That was good. Just it didn't like, feel like wasting. It wasn't just action scene. I don't know for me. Yeah. It, it felt, I guess like, yeah, thrilling in a way that again, that was my period of like, I need to go pee, but this, mm -hmm. this isn't a mindless action scene to go pee in. No, she had a goal and, and, and like everything was in service of getting to that goal, which was on the plane to save Indy. And there weren't just giant 15 minute islands of time of a sequence trying to accomplish a single goal. Yeah. Really, outside yeah. Of the one. Um, and so like they're flying the plane towards what the Nazi bad guy thinks is a fissure in time where he's going to be able to go back and replace Hitler. And there is something crazy happening in the sky. And Indy Indy's looking at like the way things are moving around in the plane. He's like, Hey, your calculations are wrong. You don't know where you're going. Like I love the, didn't know about continental drift. Yeah. I love the hubris of the idea. Like this dial seems like the purpose of this dial is to point out where there are these time fissures, but not necessarily give you the control of being able to move wherever you want to. Right. So it was able to detect this location that at this certain point in time, there's going to be a time gateway opened between these two periods of time. And, right. and we don't know what the receiving period of time is. I just want to mention But Voller thought he knew. Yeah, he did. Right? Yeah, he, no, he was, they, he, he's a physicist. They thought that the device kind of gave them the control of that. You yeah. know, like that. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite puzzle solving scene was <clears throat> when they have the one transcribed thing and then he lights it on fire because he's like, the weight's wrong. Oh, and it was yeah. Wax that melts. And then that kind of becomes one of the key things that allows them the real to put key. the device all together. But that was like a fucking Indiana Jones moment. Yeah. Like that's the, that's, yeah. that's the stuff I love. Um, yeah, that was awesome. But yeah, so uh -oh. this time rift opens up and they're they're flying through it. They all go through it and they end up at the the Battle of Syracuse in uh, 200, 280 BC, 203 BC or whatever. Yeah. Um, and 213 like, BC, yeah. 213 BC. And at first you look down and 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 Voller says, you know, we made it. There's there. That, that's where we're going. And you look down, and you see all these boats and. I was thinking like this feels like Dunkirk kind of like those those look a little bit like civilian boats but Dunkirk was World War 1 and then Indy looks out of the other side and you realize that it's like boats from 213 BC and you see like some of the mechanics that they had referred to that Archimedes had developed yeah, like yeah. Uh, towers that could pull ships out of the water or like and they have like the the <clears throat> the reflectors to burn the ships out of the yeah, water yeah just like that was super, super cool. So yeah, it turns out they quickly realized they've gone back to this moment in time where Archimedes was. And it's, again, one of my favorite types of time travel because it doesn't even necessarily feel like them going back in time is changing time. It's like that always right. happened. <clears throat> and that was what informed Archimedes to be able to kind of understand this concept and build yeah. it. So 
I, I like a time travel story where like what you're trying to do is what had always happened. Right. You know, like that, you know, you right. can't, uh, that's just, that was a really fantastic thing. So they end up, uh, back in time, they find Archimedes. So how did you feel about what was kind of the climactic scene of this film, which was, you know, they 2023 short rounds, got an airplane. They're trying to get out of there, fly back through this hole. Mm-hmm. Phoebe's trying to get Indy to go back with them. And he's like, dude, I got nothing. Just leave me here. I, I didn't know what they were going to do in that scene. Like, I don't know if they knew. And it's a pretty like, I believe it or not, I've been reading a lot of internet things about this movie and uh-huh. that the resolution of that scene is a big bone of contention for people. Really? A lot of people really hated it. A lot of people who like the movie don't like it. Huh. Uh, so basically like Indy's been shot and he's, you know, he, it looked like he'd been shot in the heart when he first yeah. got shot. Like he's, he's in a pretty bad shape and, and he's in the history that he teaches. Like when he looked out the window and realized what was going on, like it, it gave me chills and I was like, man, this is the thing that he loves the most is history. And here he is in it, watching it in real life. And, and when he said that he wanted this, like, he wants to stay back then I was like, yeah, fuck it, man. He, he might, he might be happier here than he is at home because at home, his son is dead. His, his wife is leaving him. Like Marion is leaving Indiana Jones. Why the fuck would he go back to the modern day where he doesn't understand time travel or, or he doesn't understand space travel and he hates probably like, (laughs) and he looks pretty close to death. So yeah. it, it could have also just seemed sort of like, okay, well, he's going to die. Where does he want to die? You know? Right. But then right. there is the strong feeling that this is the last Indiana Jones movie, although it does set mm-hmm. up pretty well the idea that Phoebe would maybe be the Indiana Jones or something. Yeah, I mean, um, I'd watch a spinoff or something. But but uh, but yeah, the idea of him getting to live out the end of his life and his adventures, you know, in this last time period, for me, I was just sort of like, but Indy, how do you pick which time you would be happy to end up in? Like, you only right. get to see this battle and then you're just stuck in this time period. It's not like you get to jump from awesome moment to awesome moment now. Yeah, yeah. But I could see why he would want to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He had and, nothing to go back to, it felt like. Yeah, he had nothing to go back to. And and this was the thing that he loves. And, you know, like he was, I, I totally got it. And yeah. and it being the last Indiana Jones movie, I think that would have been a fitting end. Mm-hmm. You know, like Indy has lost to history. Lost and someday they're going to dig up a dude with a whip. And that's you know? what I was hoping because there is that awesome little bit like they un- unearth a sarcophagus from the Archimedes time and there's a watch on it. And yeah. like, I love that type of stuff. Like, well, yeah. that couldn't exist. Right. Um, and, and what we learned from uh, Archimedes is that this was a close, this, this was a closed loop. He knew that they were going to show up and he started building the device. We see the device before he shows up and talks to Indy and mm-hmm. Helena. Um, so we see the device that he's been working on, but, it was it was a time travel device, but it wasn't just for finding fissures in time. It was finding the gateway to that moment that would turn the tides of the battle because they show up in these airplanes that look like dragons to these people. Yeah, I love that. And man. and just like blow their minds. And and so then Archimedes is kind of reassured that he's gonna be able to finish this project before he dies. But anyway, Helena, instead of arguing with Indy, just punches him and drags him back to the present. I love that. That's a great resolution for it. I thought I thought it was great too. And and like, you know, people are people are upset that it's uh it takes Indy's agency away and you know, like 
there's all all sorts of arguments against that, but I think that it shows that she's a strong character and that Indy's not always right, which like throughout all the movies, he's not always right. He's a shithead most of the time. And he's like, old as fuck now too, yeah. which is like, I, I like them baking that into it, right? Like he's yeah. old and the punch of this person could take him down. Ta- yeah, I, I have right. no problem with them <laughs> taking that agency away from Indiana Jones because yeah. sometimes incredibly confident people aren't right and you have to punch them in the jaw. And he's and he's trying to commit suicide essentially. Essentially, yeah. Right. So like she she stops him from that and brings him back and and he's like mad that she brought him back. He wakes up a couple of days later in the apartment and he's he's mad that she brought him he she brought him back and he's like, you know, what do I have to live for? And then Marion comes back and looks man gorgeous and old like you can just see young marion in her still though that was like her face in the way that harrison ford like they both have aged beautifully yeah yeah and i like it that that scene like i i started tearing up a little bit when indy was like i'm gonna stay here i was like that's a that's sad and that makes sense my hero's Um, going away yeah but then when marion showed up i i was like I was I was wrecked like that that whole reunion got me so good and like the just the you know she asks if he's back and I I don't think that she left Indy because she didn't love him I think that she left him because he wasn't Indy like mm. Mutt dying took his adventure away yeah and turned him into this bummer guy who's retiring from being a professor and doesn't swashbuckle anymore. I like that take on it. I just sort of chalk it up to like when a couple loses a child um, Mm -hmm. that is doesn't necessarily speak to the love that they do or don't share. It's just like an impossible thing for two people who love each other to come back from, I think. Yeah, that that also. But I, I like that read of like, are you back and sort of like, you know, are you the person that I was in love with? Right. Because, yeah, losing yeah. your child does take the adventure out of your life. There's, it's not yeah. just a fun gallivant anymore. There's stakes. And right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and they like just the the scene that they replay from Raiders a little bit and, you know, having having Sala show up in that scene for a minute and take the kids out for ice cream along with Helena. That was adorable. Just Sala being in it at all was a great. Yeah sight to see he's a guy who i'm always worried is about to betray indy but is awesome yeah i was so happy that he started singing that song to the he starts singing a song from raiders okay i, I forgot um, the scene that he was from but i yeah it felt like yeah. a callback yeah um yeah he's a uh rogers and hammerstein fan i think because mm. every song he sings is from one of their compositions like um, um yeah man all all in all holy shit I, yeah, I was so glad that they, they stuck the landing. I could probably pick some nits with it, but I, I would say it's 10 out of 10 for me. I think it. Yeah, it fits so well into the pantheon of Indiana Jones film. Again, grain of salt, because it's coming from a guy who hasn't seen one of them. But I think in I your lo- case, it's a pantheon. Yeah, <laughs> I loved the first and third movies, though. I watched them a ton as a kid and then haven't yeah. seen them in a long time. I watched Raiders in the theaters with you, Django, a couple of years ago. Um, but you know, Last Crusade I haven't seen in probably 15 years at least, but that was always mm-hmm. my favorite growing up. Um, but this feels tonally like those and it fits in um, really well, which I think is hard to do in modern day world where you have all technology and all this ability to make these huge action films and stuff. But I think that that's not necessarily what at the core makes an Indiana Jones flick as good as yeah. it is. Um, well, like when they were in Tangier and we see like this sweeping city shot, I was I was reminded of 
uh, the Cairo shots in Raiders. Yeah. But in that, that scene. they had to go take down all the power lines and satellite dishes oh, off the roofs. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And in this, they can, you know, there's, it's probably mostly either digitally removed or they just created a whole backdrop yeah. from scratch. But like it was the, the, the settings were believable in a non CGI way. Every setting was like even that Nazi castle in the beginning. You're like, so oh, yeah, good. that's a Nazi castle. Fuck. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, yeah, just and, and when we were watching the credits, there were a lot of humans in that movie. <laughs> like the, the credits list is super long. And a lot of times you see a movie and it's like, yeah, here's some people who are in the movie. And then for extras, we just copied and created, pasted and made yeah. a bunch of extra people. But this one, this one has like a very long list of human actors, which I thought was really cool. I'm going to go 8.75. I liked nice. it a lot. I don't have the gravity of like a lifetime of loving these films that you do. But yeah. I think that. I mean, I like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I still haven't seen mm -hmm. it in many, many years. But um, yeah, I thought they did a fantastic job of doing honor to this franchise and giving us a fun film that didn't feel like it was just capitalizing on the last moment that they would be able to be making an Indiana Jones film because right. you know, Harrison Ford's old. 80 years old. Yeah. Um, and again, like it didn't have some of the things that I was maybe assuming I would be kind of blase about like large action sequences and mm -hmm. chase scenes and stuff. This was all very engrossing and it was a long flick. It's like two and a half hours, two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you can keep me interested for that long, uh, you're doing a good job with, yeah. with your movie. But yeah, I, I, I really liked it and I really enjoyed getting to go see it with you, man. I appreciate you snagging me a ticket and bringing oh, yeah. me along for that. Um, oh yeah. And that was a special, special little thing to get to do. So now I need your list. Top to bottom, Indy Jones. Okay. Uh, Raiders, mm -hmm. favorite. And I don't think it's fair to grade the next two right now because I'm still flying high off of this one. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say for number two, it's Last Crusade and Dial of Destiny okay. are fighting for it. Hell yeah. Just like Raiders and uh, Mad Max Fury Road are fighting for the top position of favorite <laughs> movie to watch. <laughs> I'm not saying they're the best, but they're the favorites. And then Temple of Doom is four. Yeah. And then, and then Crystal, Crystal Skull. Skull. Yeah. Um, obviously, Temple of Doom is not on my list, but I I think, and I, I need to rewatch Last Crusade, um, yeah. but I think I'm still going to honor my childhood self and put that as my top, then mm -hmm. Raiders, then this one, then King of the Crystal Skull. Nice. Solidly in the middle, I need to watch Temple of Doom. Um, yeah. Yeah, you I do. Understand that. I watched it's... some of it when I was like eight, and it was like a scary scene, like somebody's uh -huh. heart came out or something. Yeah, and I was like, "Nah, I'm not, I'm not gonna do this," and I never went back. Um, but Dude. to be able to put a film out, you know, thirty years nearly from the last great one, yeah, and have it be in the conversation is a very impressive feat. And to have it, so you know, we've seen a lot of soft reboots or late, late additions to franchises lately mm -hmm. you know like it happens a lot oh yeah. oh yeah um and i think like with the star wars movies it was like fun to see these characters but they hadn't really progressed a ton no it was and more this like fun one, being in the world rather than checking in on your friends yeah uh and i think until this my favorite update to a franchise was probably train spotting 2 mm -hmm. which i thought really nailed that sort of melancholy feeling of going back to the place that you had all the good times and finding out that 
the good times aren't necessarily the place they were the time and and the you and and your very specific circumstances yeah and i felt like they did a really good job of that in this with indy where you're like oh yeah he used to be a badass he's still pretty cool but he's he's you know he's this is very late in his life and you know like i, I kind of wonder what the demographics are for people who hate this movie if they're 25 years younger than me and and don't have the perspective of starting to feel older. I I don't. Yeah. I think that they're very understandable walking away from came to the crystal Skull school for people to hate that film for various reasons. Sure. Um, Even though I didn't, uh, I harder for me to picture people hating this one. I I don't know what the complaints would be outside of like, it's got way too much of a woman in it. Yeah. Something like that. The word woke is in a lot of those negative reviews or, you know, like I don't trust anybody who uses that word that way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, it also had really bad critic reviews before it came out, but nah. I, I can't imagine not, not loving the adventure. I'm so glad the time travel stuff was pretty well kept under wraps until yeah. that. Cause even, even as they were explaining and even as we were getting closer and closer to the actual time travel, I was like, nah, they're not going to do that. I can't and then it happened and I was like, Oh no. And then like five seconds later, I was like, fuck, this makes so much sense. It's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, Django. Thanks for getting us together to do this and letting us talk about one of your favorite film franchises of all time. Uh, you I'm can so glad we could do this. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you can always listen to our podcast, uh, the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, in this same feed. It's been a minute since we've done like a movie review. This was fun. I, we should try to do these more often because we both <laughs> love talking about movies. There's no shortage of movies coming up. Yeah, for sure. Oppenheimer <laughs> and Barbie. Yeah. Um, Mission Impossible. Yep. Yep. Oh, That's God, a movie that I'm excited to see, but I know <laughs> will put me to sleep. Yeah. Um, but uh, so cool. We'll see you all next time. Uh, yeah. And until then, keep watching the skies for those time fissures, ladies and gentlemen. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the bullwhip crack like this. <laughs> <laughs> see y'all next time. Bye.